it's not there. Turn it up or turn me up. Yeah, Jess already warned me I talk too softly. I didn't, I didn't do that in my classroom. I don't know why I do it here. <laughs> I didn't do it at home. <laughs> All right, so when Jeff asked me, do you have a, would you have a message? I had a, re a response quickly. And um, it's something that God has walked me through for weeks now. Okay, let me get my clock on because I've got to be mindful of my time. Um, I am Evelyn Houck. I've taught elementary. I've taught adults for the GED program. I teach in Sunday school sometimes, um, Wednesday night sometimes. Um, if you know me from other churches, you know that um, I love to pray for people. I do uh, walk in the spiritual gifts, which um, I don't understand quite often. I had someone say, I can't believe God uses you. And I went, I know, right? <laughs> Because I'm flawed, and so I, it is with uh, great respect to the Lord that I, I'm just going to share with you um, what he's been sharing with me. I do pray in the name of Jesus that your ears are open and your eyes are open to what he has to say for you. Okay? So... So, Mike, can you hear me? I got you wall to wall. All right. Go ahead and All right. Wall. And, okay, I want to thank Brian for doing the PowerPoint, setting that up for me. I hope it works well. I'm a visual person in my classroom. It was plastered with posters and stuff and during state proficiencies. Um, I would, you have to cover everything like it doesn't exist or take it down. And it was <laughs> exciting for me to see a student take a test and look up where the poster was or that was covered up, and they used their visual memory to bring things back to them. And so I'm hoping that this also um, will help you um, keep, that I will stay on track and that you can keep, stay on track with me. So... A few months ago, I started hearing the voice of the Lord say, well, what do you see? When I was teaching 1 Corinthians in Sunday school, I told them, I said, I, I, I'm doing a sifting now. I've studied 1 Corinthians, like you, numerous times, but this time I was sifting, sifting constantly. And when I was, uh, Jeff was reading my notes and um, reminding me that I needed transitions and that sort of thing. Uh, he used the word mining. And when you open up your scripture, are you mining it? Sifting for the gold that's in there? Okay, so I wanted greater revelation. Where I don't know that I've ever seen so many people who are fearful, struggling, lonely. There's a great need out there. And the answer's in the Word. So I, um, my slides do include a lot of Scripture, and I hope that that uh, works for you, that you don't have to uh, dig out your Bible and flip back and forth. That the, seeing the Scripture on the screen will help. Yes, sir. So if you're having a problem reading the small print, feel free to move up. I mean, I'm sorry. It's worth it. Take a moment. Come on up. It's, it's pretty good. I'm sorry. You don't have to. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the first thing God would say to me was, what do you see? Well, what are you looking at? We have puppies now, and we take them out to do the bathroom, and we want them to get the bathroom done so we can get back in, Right? <laughs> Come on, go on command. 
we have one that I call her my ADHD dog. She goes out and she, she can be like prepared to go and then just stop and, and stare. And I'm always saying, what are you looking at? And I'm looking, is it a bird? Is it a squirrel? What is she looking at? And I have to stop and I have to focus. I have to be intentional to find what in the world stopped the process, okay? And so um, we were blessed to take our oldest granddaughter to Yellowstone with us. It was our second trip. And it was such a delight to take her because she loved to stop and focus on things. We were looking at one mountainside that was full of the, the different colors of the different minerals that are in it and you've got plumes coming up and you're aware that you're standing on top of a, a huge volcano and we got in the car and we're off to the next thing and we've totally forgot to take a picture of this beautiful mountainside with all this colorful rock because we were looking at the detail of it. At another place um, we stopped at the caldera which is the outer rim of the volcano and it's just black basalt, obsidian type stuff that has shells in it in the middle of the United States. What does that point to? A flood. And so you were not allowed to remove any of it, but I always wear sandals, so I'm walking around and I get back in the car and it's in my sandals. I didn't pick it up. <laughs> but I still have that reminder of that little detail, the little shells that are in that volcanic rock in the middle of the United States. Okay? So when you stop and, and look at things, you, um, you just, it's just so exciting. So I have the scripture... Matthew 13, that's two. Okay. So, in Matthew 13, 13 through 16, we had such great joy when we stopped and, and looked at the detail there in Yellowstone. We just did it over and over again. At one point, Reagan goes out on this cliff because she's watching the um, cascade. And every, I mean, we waited and waited and waited for her. She was just really enjoying the moment until a little snake visited her, and then she was done. <laughs> so she was done. So we have Matthew 13, 13 through 16. Jesus was saying, Therefore speak I to them in parables. They said, Why are you using parables? Well, I'm using parables. Why? Because seeing, they see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. We have teenagers, grandchildren. You guys have children. Do they see everything that's right in front of them? How about hearing? I heard you. No, you didn't, or you would be doing it. <laughs> right? Well, we're like children to God. And Jesus is saying, I'm using parables because even though they have eyes, they don't see. They have ears, and they're not hearing. And so he says, And in them, the parables, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, but shall not perceive. Why? Why aren't we seeing? Why aren't we hearing the things God wants to tell us? Jesus said, for this people's heart is waxed gross. We have a heart condition. I'm praying some, somebody today turns over their heart condition to the Lord and have your ears that are dull of hearing and their eyes that have closed because I underlined the part here that less than any time they should see with their eyes. Jesus is saying, hey, 
If you would see with your eyes and hear with your ears and should understand with your heart and understand with your heart, you should be converted and I should heal them. If you stop to look, you stop to listen, you stop to understand, guess what Jesus just said? I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, he's talking to the disciples, for they shall see in your ears, for they will hear. That the mention of not seeing and not hearing is mentioned in Mark 4.12, 8.18, Luke 8.10, John 12.40, and Acts 28.27. Hello. Repetition means, didn't I just tell you this? Did I have to tell you again? If I mention it again, is it important? Right? Didn't I tell you last week to pick up your clothes? Teenager thing. Or kid thing. Right? But in Acts 2, 7... The scripture says, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Sometimes I pray for Jeff when he's getting frustrated or discouraged. Lord, send him a dream. Give him a vision. I, for some reason, that seems to be more uh, needed in men to have a vision, to have a dream, to have that personal contact from the Lord. So, three, the next thing the Lord said to me was, what do you see? That indicates my participation. And so my example for that was that um, we, we took Eddie and Michelle to Tennessee. Oh, the views, they're beautiful. Wake up, kids. Look at the view. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow, look at this. Look, look how far down you can. Miles and miles. Look at that. Uh-huh. Participate. Just do something. So I want to encourage you. What do you see? The next one is what do you see? Okay? That's number four. I appreciate that young man back there helping. <laughs> what do you see? Our perception, our paradigm affects what we see. Uh, you go to a scene of an accident, all the witnesses, they have a different view. You take your child to a sporting event or a dance recital. Oh, she's the prettiest one up there. Is everyone seeing that my granddaughter is just absolutely beautiful when she's up doing a dance recital? Is your perception a little bit different? <laughs> your child is prettier, right? More talented. It's, it's just the way it is, right? So I have a picture for you. What do you see? At a glance, we miss a lot of detail. Now, I enjoy looking up close to my flowers. I'm busy with puppies, and they're pulling me this way and that way, and I've got to be a comedy routine in the yard when they're wrapping themselves around me and stuff, and I'm just trying to get them to go, just go potty, just do it, do it, do it. Trying to cheer them on, but what do you see? I walk by beautiful flowers that Jeff has tended for the 20-some years we lived in our house, and I have to stop and focus on my roses. They're being covered up by his flowers, Cleons. But the roses are there, and I have to get through these Cleons so that I can smell the rose and look at it. So the next picture is my favorite artist. Um, does anybody know her? Georgia O'Keeffe? Back in her day, in the early 1900s, women were allowed to paint, they were allowed to be artists, if they painted landscapes, flowers, vases, fruit. Well, she started painting um, the New York skyline. One of her famous paintings was the New York skyline, and boy, did she get in trouble for that. 
Well, she moved to Arizona and she does other paintings, but can you see that she took the time to really look at these poppies? I love poppies, they don't last very long, but they're beautiful. Someone else just, you know, walked through my yard and they see my poppies, they're like, okay. They don't pay attention. Now the next one is important to me because I love the beach. I love sitting on the beach. I love the sun. I love the shells. I just love listening to the wave. I can do that for an hour. Just sit and do nothing watching these waves. What's Jeff's perception? Perception. There's fish out there. I wonder if I could throw a line out. And that's what he did one time. He and his brother. I mean, his perception is, hmm, I wonder if I could rent a boat, go fishing. Am I going to sit on the beach? Nope. Let's go for a walk. Okay, we'll go for a walk. <laughs> different perceptions, we have different reactions, correct? So, even at that, what I do see with my natural eyes, I'm limited. I can only see so far. I can only see so far. You only are limited by your reaction, maybe by your vision. I mean, right now we only see this portion of the sky. We don't see the universe. And even if we look at pictures from the Hubble space doohickey, satellite thing, you're, sorry, science teacher, but <laughs> you, we're only seeing glimpses, right? So... What does this have to do with you today? Um, I have a, he's actually a worship leader, and he ha had something posted, and I thought, well, I ought to share that, this with you. His name is Daniel Amstutz. His um, website or Facebook page is called The Collective, Daniel Amstutz Collective. And he just posted this on July 29th. He said, in, uh, he quoted Luke 11:34 that the eye is the lamp of the body. Your body depends on what your eyes see, light or dark. He said, I believe this means that what you behold is what you become. That's startling, but true. Are you looking for light? Are you looking for the good, or are you looking at the dark, or are you in the dark? Are you believing God for something? I think we all are. Maybe health or finances, maybe you aren't seeing the results like you'd uh, want to see. So he, de he challenges the, the reader. Let me ask you something. What are you beholding today, life or death? Darker light, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Okay? Where's our eyes? Where are they pointed? So, when I received God's challenge, I started teaching 1 Corinthians, and I was looking up the original Greek and Hebrew all the time. I was, Jeff has an in, interlinear and a... What's the multiple? Yeah, you just got one too. Multiple translations in this one Bible. And so that was wonderful because we were always bringing that up in Sunday school. What, are, what do these words mean? We throw around words like we really understand everything we're talking about. And, and you know, communication it's even gotten worse with all our social media and with COVID and everything. The ability to communicate a thought. You find yourself saying, but that's not what I said. But that's what I heard. Anybody else get into arguments about, but that's not what I said? Or is it just Jeff and I? Yeah, okay. So, um, I, I just lost my place. Okay, so the way we were reading the scripture changed a little bit. 
I got really nitpicky about every detail. I was looking for stuff in the scripture. I was looking at what was missing. I just really changed the way I read the scripture. And I've been a Christian for 47 years. And I've read, I told you, I've read 1 Corinthians multiple times. I, I was getting blown away by what the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, was uh, telling me. So, Matthew 6, 24, 22, 24. Did I already read that? No, I haven't. See, I've read it so many times to me, I'm wondering, did I speak it to you yet? Matthew 6, 22 through 24. Okay. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So go ahead and put up 10, because your eyes represent the focus of your life and what you're seeking. Are we focused on money and pleasure? That's what that represents. Notice I picked out a real fancy car. <laughs> are you focused on the love and truth of God? Right now, some of us are in survival mode, and it's not so much pleasure. We're just trying to get the car on the road to go to work to pay the rent, and we're in survival mode. But is that what you're focused on more than the love and truth of God? So I'm going to give you three instances the Lord uh, told me last week. These are the three stories. Okay? So I'm going to look at the first one because it's pretty important as a Christian to know what must I do to be saved. Amen? So we're looking at the scripture in Mark 10, 17 through 22. It's also mentioned in Matthew 19 and Luke 18, but we're going to stick to Mark 10 and look at verse 17. Okay? And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him. And one of the other verses, one of the other um, gospels, says it was a rich young ruler. Okay? So this man knelt before him, Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not um, kill. Sorry, I got that out of order. Do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus looked upon him, loving him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. So what is this scripture really saying? It goes on later to talk about it's difficult for a rich person to get into heaven. You know, the whole camel and the needle of the eye. Is that what God's really telling us? Oh boy, you, you, you just hit the jackpot with that job. Oh, you're going to be paid too much. I've heard people comment on different pastors making too much money. God says you're supposed to be poor. He didn't. That's not what he's saying at all. It's not what he's saying at all. So let's look at that. Because we do, different denominations are twisting the word. That's not what it was said at all. So let's look at it. What's the topic of this? Eternal life. What must I do to be saved? How do I inherit eternal life? Right? That's what it's about. But we get the response and we get a little bit confused. So the first thing Jesus did was say, why'd you call me good? He's going, 
first to the heart of his perception of Jesus. If you think God is like your father, I had a hard father. Those of you that have heard me before, I got beaten several times. Okay. And so, at first, I thought, God loves me. Uh, he's a good father. I don't know what a good father is. Yes, my dad was a good father. He did many good things. But when you're trying to be healed of something, that's your focus. Right? So, with the first thing Jesus did was deal with his perception. You call me good. Only God is good. Who was Jesus? The Son of God. The Son of God. Was the ruler ready and able to see Jesus as the Son of God? Was he just limiting him to be a teacher? You're, you're a good teacher. Gideon's a good teacher, right? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now, we know that there's a scripture that says um, Jesus was recognized as one who taught with authority. We know he is a good teacher, but he's going right to the heart of the rich young ruler. Right at the heart. How do you see me? How we see God is going to limit what we read, what we feel, how we grow in Christ. Our perception of God colors how we approach him, and it will, be determined, it will determine our response to him. I love the scripture that says, I can come boldly and with confidence in my access to God. <laughs> I couldn't do that with my daddy. That was the generation of you're seen and not heard. I didn't bring this up, so... I mean, that's what he was taught. That's what I was taught. But the Bible says that God is such a good father, I can come before him with boldness and confidence in my access to him. That's exciting. It's exciting. Now, Jesus only listed some of the commandments, so I wonder if they were the ones that he already knew he got an A-plus on. Because the ruler said, oh, I can do that. Yeah, that's, I, I can do that. But Jesus went again right straight to the heart. You lack one thing. Go sell what you have. What are the commandments he left out? You shall have no other gods before me. You will not have any graven images. And I'm telling you, some of us, our cars, our trophies, our sports, and I'm only picking on men's stuff, aren't I? <laughs> That's a little bit easier those are graven images if, if they come before your relationship with God. Maybe your cell phone is your graven image. That's not for me to figure out. That's something you have to ask the Lord. It also said, um, and um, I'll just keep moving. Anyway, the man's possessions were great. He apprised, he, his prize was his possessions above eternal life. And I did hear someone say recently that what we own, owns us. And Jeff's been after me, he's going to love hearing this, he's been after me to clear some stuff out of the house. The Lord's convicting me. You don't need that. So, we'll just... Now that Jeff knows, he's going to be... Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go to slide 12. Because in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Our eternal life is determined by our heart relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jeff did a teaching on what must I do to be saved. 
and he found five or six instances where it says, confess, believe. Confess and believe. Believe and confess. You don't have to do the hokey pokey to get saved. You don't have to obey all the commandments. Isn't that a relief? I don't have to earn my salvation. How many of you would have flunked with me? <laughs> I would have flunked. Okay? So now let's look at another scripture for a better understanding in faith. What role of, does faith play in our life? Okay? Uh, have you heard the story about the woman that was, um, had an issue of blood for 12 years? Okay? So right now I'm just going to ask you to use your imagination for a minute. Because we do have people with chronic illnesses in this church. Wears you down sometimes. Right? You fought anything, it wears you down. This um, story is in Matthew 9 and Luke 8, but we're going to look at Mark because that's where I was. Math, uh, chapter 5, 25 through 34. Beginning in verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Oh, sorry. I forgot I was attached. She heard. Did I mess it up? Okay. She heard the reports about Jesus. That's what you're doing here today. You're hearing reports about Jesus. When you come on Sunday, you come on Wednesday, you're hearing. That has a purpose. And came up behind him. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. That Greek word is sozo, save that. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed. I-A-O-M-A-I. Healed, but now this is the second word, of her disease. And I'll tell you now, that disease right there, that was the same word used after Jesus was flogged. You get a little bit different picture of her now. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that she had been, uh, what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, this is interesting, Daughter, your faith has made you well. There's that sozo again. Go in peace and be healed. Now it's a third word. Looks like Huggies, but it's H U G I E S, and I'm not going to try to pronounce Greek at all. And be healed of your disease. So, what do you see in the story? Did she steal her healing? She did it out of faith. And how did she do that? She heard what? Now, she was a Jew. So what I'm about to tell you is she's a Jewish woman and she knew the traditions and she knew the law. Okay? The first thing was that she heard it and she states, she states, this was in your healing class that you taught, she spoke out, if I but touch his garments, I will be healed. I hear all the time, and I do it myself. Doggone it, I'm never going to get over this. I spoke what I believe. 
and I get what I spoke. Right? God has such patience with us. So to release my faith, I need to know Jesus and his promises, and I need to speak them. I need to know that his promises are yes and amen, and I need to know that God is faithful to complete the work he will be, that he began. Scripture. I need to know that scripture. I need to stand on it. You do too. We want victory. There is victory in Jesus, but not just by singing it for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. You start declaring your victory. Do we see victory in Jesus? Do we see it? I got to preach in there, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> All right. So in Matthew, she said, uh, in Matthew, it says, if I can touch the fringe of his garment. Jesus was a good Jew. And the Jewish men wore a talit. And with the talit, if they were in prayer, they would place it over their head. On the four corners of the talit is something called a tzitzit. And if I'm mispronouncing it, I didn't study Greek. I just am reading it. And each knot, they speak scriptures over it. When that woman saw his prayer shawl, she knew that at the corners, sorry, if I can but touch the hem of his garment. Remember Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and said they like to stand on the corner and they like to add to their phylacteries. They would make sure they had long ones. So they abused what God had said. But this is the hem of the garment. She reached out in her weakness, in her sickness. Just reach out and touched the hem and was healed. Other people were pushing around him. They were bumping against his clothing. But she reached out in faith in faith. Now, what did she know about this garment? There's this book that I read. Sometimes you have to go to other experts. The Hymn of His Garment, Touching the Power in God's Word by John D. Garr, PhD. So this guy knows his stuff. And in this book, Got to skip some stuff. In the book, the author explains that the talit is a covering. It's up there. Symbolizing being under his wings of loving kindness, of his protective power, a refuge, and his mercy is everlasting. It represents the authority of God, the blue. Now, notice uh, I think we got this from John Hagee's ministries. There's no blue in there. What they sell to the Gentiles just so happens to not have a blue. That blue is, represents God's holiness, his purity. Okay, now this woman, for 12 years in her suffering, knows this stuff. Okay, she knew that this had authority, that this represented the Torah, the word of God, okay? He created and sustains all things by his word. This is also a prayer closet. There were times I, after Jeff bought this for me, I would put it over my head, and it just kind of symbolized blocking everything out. Lord, I just need your presence. Man. One time, okay, that was another thing. So they also use this as a blessing covering for children 
And have you ever seen a Jewish wedding where they have the tallit, it's a larger piece, a tallit over the bride and groom? So this represents a blessing. Let's see if I'm getting them all. Over your marriage and over your children. And in Malachi 4.2, it states, Be unto you that fear my name, shall the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, arise with healing in his wings. I told you I'm visual. Healing in his wings. Are there times when I just take this out and go, I just need him to wrap me up, protect me. And she knew that. The law-abiding Jew would know that the hem of his garment represented the word of God and the authority in it. She reached out in faith, knowing that Jesus had authority. She didn't have any problems with her perception of who Jesus was, did she? No. But then Jesus says, who touched my garment? thought Jesus knew everything. Now, she, under the law, was unclean. And anybody that she touched was going to have to go through a process of being cleaned, cleansed in the temple and stuff. So she, at great risk, she spoke her faith again. I did it. I, I touched you. I've been healed. And Jesus, with his marvelous love, pronounced her well. Okay, there's the three words. Sozo, I-A-O-M-A-I, and the one that looks like Huggies. Okay. So we have those three words. Look up your Greek and Hebrew. When he used that last word, here's what I think. Because he's done it to me. Not only did he heal her of her disease and all that mental torment of being isolated, of becoming poor, all this stuff. She spent all that she had. He healed that heart, that mind. And all I can think of is like PTSD, how you're just kind of tormented by traumas and things. He healed that also. So my last, my last story that I'm going to get to share is in Luke 24, 13 through 49. It's a long scripture, so I'm just going to point out a couple of things. It's the story where Jesus was walk, walking with two disciples as they walked to Emmaus. And as they're walking, it was after his um, resurrection. They're just going to Emmaus. He's dead. But he's walking with them, talking with them, and they don't even know it. How can that be? Don't you think spending three years with him, they would know that it was Jesus. This story is because uh, I wanted to point out there's a difference between your natural vision and your spiritual vision. Their natural vision did not see Jesus on the road. They walked seven miles with him. Didn't see Jesus until he broke bread because it was time to eat. When they break bread, what did Jesus tell them last time he broke bread with them? Do this in remembrance of me. So I bet every time they broke bread, they were thinking Jesus. Now their spiritual eyes went, boop, and then he was gone. Spirit discerns spirit. He was in a glorified physical body. Later on, he says, see my scars? Oh, my gosh. Has, have you all heard the song, 
the only scars in heaven. Who sang that? Casting crowns. The only scars in heaven are going to be on him. My knee replacement scar, gone. Gone. Our scars are going to be gone. But God's, Jesus' body, who will still have the scars, do I understand that? No. So sometimes what you study or you read, you have to do it in faith. Okay? Seventeen. What does God see? Do you ever wonder that? What does God see? I do. But in Luke 19, Jesus is looking over Jerusalem, and what did he do? Longest verse in the Bible. He wept. Sometimes he looks at us and he weeps for us. And in Matthew 23, he says, How often would I have gathered you, your children, together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. He looks at us in our defiance, in our resistance, in our apathy, in our laziness, and he says, I would have done this for you. Sometimes I think that's why he wipes away tears when we get to heaven, is because we get there and we realize, oh, I could have I done that. I could have been there. And maybe a tear will escape. I let you down. I could have spoken to that person. I didn't. But in all that, Jesus looks at us and he calls us his beloved children. He calls us friend. He calls us his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. So my slide 18 has the list of all the things that I would have suggested, and I have suggested as I shared with you. If you're studying the scripture, there's 10 things that as I'm teaching this, the Lord says, well, you do this and you do this. And I even added two more after I pass it off to Jeff to look at it. One of the things I haven't brought uh, up is when you're reading the scripture, ask yourself, is this an eternal truth or a cultural truth? Uh, Kelsey was braiding her hair earlier, and um, was she sinning? Because, you know, in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, women don't just braid your hair. And there are denominations where, don't braid your hair braided your hair and you're setting hair. Is that what the scripture really means? Culturally, it... Really? That's the best you got. That scripture in 1 Peter says, don't let you just be the outward appearance. It can't... Your walk with the Lord... You're representing Jesus is not about the outward appearance. It's the heart. Again, it's the heart. So um, Jeff, would, uh, Jeff used to teach his, the men in his Bible study, and they would say all the time, is that a cultural truth or an eternal truth? So if you read a verse and it says something about braiding your hair and you braid your hair, well, that was a cultural truth. They had an issue with it then. We don't have it now. Um, I'm going to have you pass to uh, number 20, please. And I'm just going to point out a couple of things. I'm not going to read it. It says, faith begins with fellowship with the Father. There's no other source. This is from Barry Bennett, another man that I love to read. This is called Seeing the Unseen. This is uh, Ken Kulikowski's favorite scripture, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Challenge yourself to see in the spirit world, not just the physical world. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. 
somehow that woman saw herself healed if she just got to him and reached out. And she received what she saw in her mind and in her heart. I will be made whole. We do have spiritual eyes. We have natural eyes. Faith is defined as the vision of God's promise fulfilled. So let's go to the last one because I have a couple of questions. Are you motivated to to slow down and purposely look into God's love letter to you and mine for the gold of his truth? Are you motivated to read his word to grow in relationship with him and therefore grow in faith? Have you received at least one new revelation this morning? I hope and pray you do. I hope you challenge yourself to open your eyes, your spiritual eyes. You know, it's perfectly good to ask the Lord, what's really going on here? What's the spiritual force doing? Ask him, you know what? I want to see angels. I didn't ask him, but one time I saw demons. Wasn't asking for that. (laughs) Sorry. But I saw them leaving in the presence of, of worship. They don't stick around when you're worshiping. Ask him. The kids know there's demonic forces out there. Now, I'm not telling you to look for a demon behind every bush because we have authority over them. We have authority in Christ. In Christ I have hope. In Christ. Ephesians 1 and 2. If you're not sure where you're standing with the Lord, what he sees when he looks at you, go to Ephesians 1 and 2. There's more places. When wherever you see in him, you have hope, you have purpose. And if you perceive that you're in something dark, get out. Amen. And I pray in the name of Jesus that his light has shed something on your minds and your hearts today. I pray that you slow down and mind for the gold in his word. And I'm sorry that we've, I've gone five minutes over. Any questions or comments? Well, nobody went. (laughs) I hope that isn't something bad. Thank you. Anything else, Jeff? Turn it off.